technical difficulties. This week we want to focus on the words in Jesus' prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The late Dallas Willard described God's kingdom as where what God wants done is done. God indeed is on a mission to restore what was very good in his pre-fall creation, to bring about transformation of what's broken in us and in this world. When his kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven, what God wants done gets done. Lives, relationships, and communities are restored. People find forgiveness, wholeness, justice. Community can be transformed, and even the creation around us will be impacted. And no one will be left out as dividing walls are broken down and the kingdom comes near to every tribe, tongue, and nation. Praying your kingdom come joins our will with God's. In it, we submit ourselves to God, lift up the left out, ask God to work through his church and to break out into the world of need. This kingdom come prayer calls out for the action of the only one who can really restore good to our brokenness, and it offers our own hands and feet, our lips and hearts, as instruments for his purposes. Praying this way, even this week, we become kingdom partners with one another as fellow servants in a royal priesthood and with the king himself who will, we can be sure, get done what he wants done. Hello. <clears throat> can you guys hear me? Yeah? Yeah? We can, Pastor. Okay, cool. <clears throat> so if you can hear me, then uh, if you guys look at your bulletins, you have these little white papers. They're for notes. Um, this is really important because... Larry, Sean, and I talked, and we agreed that no one can leave this room until they give a good summary of what I speak about tonight, today. <laughs> so, Larry's locked the doors. You're all stuck. Uh, <laughs> so, use your notes. <laughs> um, I wanted to start out with telling you guys a little bit about my family. Um, my family is fun, to say the least. Uh, in a really fun way and an unfun way sometimes, <laughs> but so, uh, all families are. Um, but I wasn't a church kid growing up at all. Um, I, <laughs> when I was a kid, I would play games like Grand Theft Auto, and I would tell my mom it was because I was playing as the cop, and like I was helping people. And if you know anything about that game, that's not your goal. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, oh, I, yeah, that that's a pretty good summary of that. Um, but in fact, like I kind of viewed church as being bad, or like boring. Um, because it just seemed like the place you'd go to take a good nap. Um, and it actually kind of was viewed to me as something as punishment as well. Um, and my family was religious by kind of like heritage because we were all Mexican. So my family grew up like Catholic. So like my mom went to um, Catholic church. She went to catechism, all that kind of stuff. Um, and my family sort of followed God, but like, not really. 
Um, my mom, like I said, was raised Catholic, and church for her was actually used as punishment. Um, so if she did something my grandparents didn't like, the next week she would have to go to church. And yeah, isn't that great? Like, isn't that such a good view of church? And actually that, I talked to her about it too. Um, that was actually what led her to not care for church at all. And because of that, I didn't care for church because in my mind, it didn't matter. It was punishment, all those kinds of things. I never really had to go because my mom, you know, was traumatized from church essentially. So she didn't make me go. Um, but my family kind of went to church like on the occasional holidays, like Christmas and Easter and all those kinds of things. So um, we sometimes would go. I asked my mom because I was like, I really don't remember going to church at all like when I was a kid. And did I go to church? And she's like, well, yeah. And she's like, but I didn't like it because I didn't like the standing up and sitting down and saying our fathers and then going confessing all your sins. And then, you know, you're good to go. And then you start the sin process again and you go and sin and you come back and give the pastor or the priest a reason to forgive your sins again. It's kind of a cycle. <laughs> um, so I didn't really know much about the church at all or about God. Um, I kind of just viewed him as the grumpy old man that just like tells you what to do and gave us a book of rules to follow. So, but one thing that I was taught about God was actually taught to me by my grandpa. Um, my grandpa was a, and is still, um, a tour bus driver. So he would go to like super cool places. Like he'd go to Yellowstone, to the Grand Canyon, to like basically every national park around. He went to Yosemite all the time. Um, he would take me there sometimes and show me all the things that like tourists don't know because, you know, like if you go to the main trails of things, like you see all the cool stuff where everyone's at, but he knew where all the things were that like were awesome, but you wouldn't know unless you like really knew your stuff about Yosemite. And it was just really cool. And like he would be, but because of all of that and because of his traveling, he would be gone for long periods of time. So like he'd be gone for a month, two months, three months. Like one time he went to the Olympics and was there for like the entire time the Olympics were happening in Canada. And he would just be gone for a while. But every time he was home from driving tour buses and traveling, he would actually pray with me the Lord's Prayer every time before I went to bed. And he taught me the words to it, but I had no idea what they meant. Um, it's a lot of thighs and all of that, so I didn't understand it. I didn't understand why we used those words, and it really confused me. But I actually would oddly enough feel the power in them. Like I could feel the power of those words, even though I didn't understand what they meant yet. And one phrase that stuck out to me most was found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. And it's been repeated a lot so far, but I want us to read it all together. So Matthew 6, verse 10 says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. <clears throat> but what did it mean for this kingdom to come and for his will to be done? And I had no idea what I was praying or what it would mean for my life. 
This week in our 40 days of prayer, we are looking at prayer as kingdom partnership. And when Jesus um, gives us this prayer guideline that we just read, or just read a section of, um, he tells us to pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done. And this is so much more than just a prayer, but a call to action for us as Christians. We as Christians play a huge role in bringing the kingdom to earth and having God's will be done, but it cannot be done on our own or through our own will. We must be in relationship with God or must be in relationship with God and have him be our source. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be going in our Bible a lot. So um, read, uh, we're going to read John 15, 5. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So apart from God, we can accomplish nothing. And we cannot be a part of bringing God's kingdom without him. Apart, or prayer connects us with our vine. And when we are connected to him, we can be a part of the kingdom coming. So let's talk about the kingdom of God and at first focus on what it isn't. Um, I know when I was a kid and heard the term kingdom, my first thought was always like castles, right? Like those big cool castles and like the big moats around the castle and like the kingdom and everything and the drawbridge and all of that. But that's not what the kingdom of God is. It's not that kind of place. It's not limited to one specific area or one specific people. The kingdom of God is complex and I cannot wholly describe it in a short amount of time, like I was trying to, Sophie and I were sitting and trying to workshop it. And I was like, if I keep going, I could just spend, I would make you guys sit here all day and I would just be like, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, right? <laughs> and then I just like keep going. Like it was so much and we tried to fit it all. But for our purposes um, today, let's say that the kingdom of God is the fulfillment of God's will on earth. And we become a part of that kingdom as soon as we bend our knee to Jesus. And by going to God in prayer, we are following his kingdom work and prayer empowers us to partner with him in his kingdom. In his essay, The Kingdom Life, Dallas Willard notes that theological books often use reign and rule to describe God's kingdom. And, but for ordinary people, it is more informative to say that the kingdom of God is in action. Willard then says that at the center of biblical teaching on kingdom is the idea of an all-loving and all-powerful God who is action or in action for us and with us. He is not passive, he is not distant, and he is not indifferent. So going to God in prayer is taking part in two realities. The first is prayer itself is partnering in kingdom work by figuring out what God's will is. And when we pray to God, we are bringing him into our current situation. And in this time of prayer, we must align ourselves with his will. When I was growing up in my family, 
we were not rich at all. We weren't wealthy. Um, we had one income that supported us all, essentially, and that was my grandpa. And my grandpa supported my mom, my grandma, and myself. So we had our own house, but it wasn't anything fancy. And then when everything happened with my family, I won't go too much into it, but during one year of my life, my grandma passed away from cancer. My mom went to jail for being on drugs and drug dealing and all that kind of stuff. And that happened all at the same time. And it just displaced me, displaced my family. My grandpa went away. My mom was in jail. And then I was on my own. And when Jesus stepped in, changed my mom's life, and our lives started over, we didn't really have anything. We had the clothes on our back. For a while, we stayed with my aunt. And that was kind of it. And when we first got our apartment, I remember sitting in an empty room that had nothing in it and just being like, well, it's our home, but we don't have anything. And we actually, we were so blessed by God in that time too, because um, that apartment we got, we got only because of a person who was not our friend yet, but who knew my mom somewhat was associated with our church and decided to take a chance on her and tell her the, or tell the building manager at the apartment we were moving into that she was good. And I mean, imagine being a building apartment manager, right? And then hearing one of your tenants, like just less than a year ago was a drug dealer. <laughs> it's like, that probably doesn't sound like the most enticing person to let in, right? But when you have one of your best people who lived there, speak out for them. It's pretty cool. But I remember sitting in that apartment with nothing around me, and my mom and I had like no money, nothing. She hadn't had a job yet, really. We had my social security, and that was it. And I remember we walked down the street a couple blocks to this little Mexican food place that had 89-cent burritos, and that's what we had for dinner. And those first few months of us living on our own, um, had a lot of difficulties because of our lack of finances. We got most of our furniture donated to us by a nonprofit. We got an old Crown Victoria that was built like a tank. That thing, like, oh my gosh, I hit something with it and it didn't even dent it. I think I dented the fire hydrant. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, cool. Nothing, nothing can hurt me. <laughs> um, but we got that car for a dollar from our pastor or one of the associate pastors at our church. It didn't have windows that worked. It didn't have an AC. And my hometown is almost as hot as Reading. So, you, you know, you could, it's kind of like cooking. Like I understand garlic bread <laughs> and why it burns so easily. <laughs> but that, all of that said, all of those things all of that difficulty I had with finances actually started me dreaming of a future. And the first thing I started thinking about was what kind of jobs make money? Because I don't want to be in this situation ever again. Like, I don't want to be 
poor. I don't want to have to worry about where my next meal comes from. I don't want to worry about like, what am I going to have to wear like dirty old clothes? Am I going to have to do any of that stuff? I don't want to worry about it. So I dreamed of that future. And I wanted a future that had all of my financial needs met and all the things I would want I could get. And one of the jobs that I really considered, and I actually think I could have been well-equipped for, um, was I wanted to go into engineering. Um, it was a really cool-sounding job, and I strove for it most of high school. And it just sounded really interesting to me because I knew like a couple people who had done engineering, and it was cool to see them like figure out solutions to problems, like creatively, like figuring out how different things work, how do they work together, like how do you create these like awesome contraptions. Like one of my youth leaders in high school was an engineering major in like college, and it was so fun to watch him just like my youth pastor would be like, Hey Nick, I want to do this game. I know it doesn't make sense but can you make it happen? And then Nick's like, yeah, give me 20 minutes, all right. And then you just go and like build a catapult for a pumpkin. And then we're like, what did you, how? But it just sounded like a super interesting job to me. Um, and it seemed like an awesome career, but also something that made a lot of money. So that was really something I wanted. And that was my will before God was fully in my life or in the picture. But after Jesus saved me, my new goal was to figure out what he wanted for my life. But it was my junior year of high school when that happened. And that's the time where you're supposed to figure it all out. Because not only do you have your pressure of parents, you have pressure of teachers, you have pressure of counselors, you have pressure of literally everyone around you will never stop asking you, what are you doing next year? What's going on? And then you're like, I don't know, but I guess I'll figure it out when I get there. Um, and I had a partial plan for my life and was really, and I mean really, looking for God to confirm it. Like, I was just like waiting. I was like, okay, here's my plan, God. I want you to have no notes. Like, <laughs> Let's just go for it. Um, my hope was that my will was already what God had willed for me and my life, but that clearly wasn't the case, if you didn't notice. <laughs> I had spent a lot of time during that year in prayer um, asking God what he wanted from me, but when I got my answer, it wasn't what I wanted at all. It was the last thing I wanted. And when I got my call into ministry, I tried escaping it at any cost. And if you know, like, what it feels like to try to escape something God wants for you, it's like, it feels like you're one of those little toddlers with the, like, um, leash backpacks, right? And you're just like, okay, what about this way? And then you just keep getting pulled back. But, you know, you're trying. You're trying your hardest. And that's what it felt like. Um, I've talked about it before to you guys, but ministry was not something I wanted to do and not something I really thought I could do. And I was just like, nah, that's not it. <laughs> um, I saw what my youth pastor had gone through, uh, emotionally, physically, spiritually, financially. I saw all of his struggles and thought that that was something so difficult to go through. Like ministry was hard. 
And like youth pastors, it always looked like, you know, you would look at it at first and be like, it's just pizza and games. And like, they only work on Wednesdays. So like, where's the problem? And I saw what, what the problem was. Um, but ministry was not my will. We're going to look at an excerpt of Jesus's time in Gethsemane in Matthew chapter 26, verses 39 through 42. So it says, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. And this is Jesus. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. These prayers show Jesus' kingdom partnership with God. They reveal his mindset before the crucifixion, knowing what was coming, and his total alignment and submission to the will of God. Jesus shows the natural human desire to avoid pain and suffering here. And the words he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, is a point for his disciples to understand, but also shows where he was at too. Jesus's flesh was weak, but his spirit was stronger than that weakness. And despite all of the feelings or the fear and all that kind of stuff, he still chose to follow God's will and not the human nature. And prayer helps us to not focus on just ourselves, but to seek out the will of God and to help align ourselves with his heart. So after learning what God's desire was for my life, I prayed a lot over what he told me. Most of those prayers were just, please no. Um, and as time went on, and the more I prayed, and the more I talked to him, and the more I heard from him, the more I was starting to be aligned with that will. And some of those passions started to become more of things that I was seeing God work through me. Psalm 37, 4 through 6, says this. It says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Through this time of prayer, God showed me the desires of my heart. And they weren't actually what I originally thought they were. Like, if you guys remember, I thought that the desires of my heart were to be financially taken care of and to be like, not need or want for anything. But then he showed me that wasn't my desire. When we pray to God, it is not about us trying to convince him of what we want to do with our lives or change him. 
We need to go into prayer, listening for God, and allow ourselves to be changed. For me personally, there have been a lot of times in my life where I have gone to God only trying to listen for the things that confirm what I wanted. And I don't know if that's true for you guys too, but I'll say something to God like, here's what I want. And then God's like, well, I want, no, 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 no. Just say what I want is what's good. All right, let's do that. That's what I need. And I tried to get only the confirmation for the things I wanted and there were the things I thought I needed. But often when I tried or when I stopped trying to demand what I wanted, he would change me. Matthew 6, 31 through 34 says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. See, God knew my past needs. God knows my current needs. And God knows yours as well. But we, but our job is to seek his kingdom first. See, God can and will change our wills to be more like his when we allow him to. When we hold on to our stuff tighter than we hold on to him, we lose track of who God wants us to be. And with that change, because that change can be really hard, that change can be something that's not just naturally like you're just, it's not easy. Um, but with it, we can go to him in prayer to be heard and to receive comfort for the loss of what we thought was important and to realize what he wants for us is so much better. So the second reality of prayer as kingdom partnership is that when we pray to God, he empowers us to act in his kingdom. So I haven't talked a lot about this, um, but between the time I graduated uh, Simpson and the time I started here, there was a lot of things that went on in my life more so personally than like actually going on. It was actually kind of a boring time for me. I worked at Barnes and Noble. Some of you knew me from there before you knew me here, which was kind of fun. I was kind of Reading famous for that. Like I would just go places and Sophie and I'd be hanging out. They're like Barnes and Noble guy. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you tried to steal from the store. I remember you. <laughs> oh yeah. If we remember you, it's only for two reasons, and it was good or really bad. But, <laughs> but anyways, um, after I graduated from Simpson, I really had no idea what I was going to do with ministry yet. I knew I wanted to do youth ministry, but I didn't know what it was going to look like. I didn't know where I was going to go. I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, and honestly, after finishing four years of school, this might sound crazy, after spending four years of school and devoting my whole life to learning about ministry and God, I still didn't feel equipped 
or prepared in any way. Like, I felt like I might as well have just walked in from the street and just like, been like, hey, hire me as your youth pastor. I love God and people, so I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm not saying you don't if you love God and people. That's very important. But, <laughs> um, but I didn't feel equipped. I didn't feel ready. I didn't feel prepared. And Sophie and I had made the commitment to staying in Reading after we graduated, or after I graduated, um, stayed in Reading for one more year because she was working at a neuropsychology office. I was really worried I was going to say that wrong. Um, it's not a hard word either. I just thought I was going to say it wrong. Um, but she was working there, and we wanted her to get experience. So then when she was going for schools, um, she would have that extra experience in her field as well. So we decided to stay. And we both really wanted to move away from here, like really wanted to move. Um, <laughs> summers are brutal. <laughs> And it, there's, if you don't like outdoorsy things, which Sophie and I are not outdoorsy people, um, there's not a lot to do here. Like, but anyways, <laughs> but during that time of waiting, um, I purposefully did not look for a job in ministry at all. I tried like whatever I could to ignore like any sort of thing God would call me into. I wouldn't really like read my Bible as much or anything because I was like, I just don't want to be led in a direction that I don't want to go. Um, so I was like, I'm just going to like chill here and just like work at Barnes and Noble, work at, I think I had, at this time, I think I had three jobs at once and that was kind of fun. I worked at GameStop. Barnes and Noble, and Hot Topic, all at the same time. It's really fun to get all three jobs to work together. <laughs> you should try it. Um, but I didn't feel like I was worthy of being in ministry yet at all. And during that time, we actually didn't have a home church. We did the common thing, or not common, not a common thing, of church shopping. We went around to a bunch of different churches. We tried them out. We like criticized them. We said the things we loved about them. We actually decided to use that time as like a time to really figure out what I wanted in a church to work at and be a part of. And we would like go to places and we would sit there and listen to the sermons and participate in worship. And then we'd talk afterwards and we'd be like, okay, what did you like? And Sophie's like, I like this. And I was like, oh, that's the thing I didn't like. <laughs> and, then she, and then she would say, well, I didn't like this. And I was like, oh, that's the thing I loved. And then we were just like, okay, well, you know, at least we're knowing our priorities now. Um, and it was really good, but it was just like a weird in-between phase where we weren't really connected to anything, but we were here. And after some time of doing that, uh, we had randomly decided to try out Trinity Alliance Church in January of 2020. And we... Mostly came here because we had known some people who had come to this church. Um, we knew, if you guys remember, for those of you who've been here a while, uh, Kevin and Amy Benny. Um, they were the campus pastor, or he was campus pastor, and she was one of the counselors at Simpson. Um, but they came here, and they were our marriage counselors. And um, Kevin was my boss at one point for working in spiritual formation at Simpson. And we were just like, okay, we know they went here, and they're really cool. And if they're really cool, then that means the people here might be cool. <laughs> um, so we decided to come here. 
And that Sunday just so happened to be the first time that it was publicly announced to the church that you guys were looking for a youth pastor. <laughs> yeah. You laugh because you understand the pain. <laughs> and little did I know at that point that Sophie and I would both separately and silently have our own pulls from God to hear. And as we left the church, we both kind of like got in the car pretty awkwardly, actually. And we just kind of sat there in silence for a minute. And then we started driving. And then Sophie's like, so what do you think about the youth pastor position that you're opening up? And I was like, please, no. <laughs> please, no. No, 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 no. Uh, yeah, I felt, I felt something. And we talked about it. And Sophie was like, okay, you should go talk to the pastor. And I was like, I'll just send him an email, you know? I'll just send, send him an email, and then we'll be good. And then Sophie's like, no, I feel like we should go talk to him. And as you guys know, um, you're a very talkative church. So we were already like a few miles down 299, and then we turned around, and guess what? You are all still here. <laughs> <laughs> So, I walked up to Sean with, like, the least amount of confidence, but, like, kind of, like, still driven, right? Like, I knew I had to do it. I also knew the look Sophie gave me when I said I wasn't going to do it, and I didn't want that look again. So, I walked up to him, and I was like, hey, Sean, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what this means, I don't know if this amounts to anything at all, but I feel like God's telling me to talk to you about the youth ministry position. And then he was like, cool. <laughs> and he's like, all right. And I could tell like, you know, cause for me, it sounded crazy to say that like, I felt God was leading me this direction. And it probably felt weird that like he heard somebody tell him that they felt led. And I was like, please don't assume I'm trying to tell you that it's the will of God that he's telling you to make, give me this job. Like, don't take it that way. And I was trying to like clarify that. I remember, I think I like repeated it to you like three or four times. I was like, please, I'm not saying like, I'm not trying to demand a job from you, but like, I just feel like I'm led here. <laughs> and he hesitantly agreed to meeting to me with me like a week later, and we sat there and we talked at the, from the hearth down the street, and we just like shared about our lives. I told him about my story. He told me about his, um, and we just got to talk, and it was really cool to hear about him being in youth ministry and him, his passion for youth and getting to share mine and just what like God was doing in my life. And after that, he sent me an email with a job description and all of that fun stuff. And then I, he was like, well, it's going to be a couple months before we do anything, so just, like, wait around. And I was like, okay, cool. So, if you didn't know, like, a couple weeks after this, uh, a pandemic started. <laughs> so that was fun. Um, and I spent those few months before sending applications or anything um, frequently in prayer about this and still wrestling with the fact that I didn't feel worthy of being in ministry while also feeling called into it and feeling the will of God was for me to be in ministry. And I felt like if I became a youth pastor at that time, that I would be a fraud and I could never be like my youth pastor. I could never be like my youth ministry professor who was in youth ministry for like 20 years. I could never be like some of my friends who were already in ministry and doing that already. 
Um, and in my prayers, I would tell God my thoughts and all the reasons I still thought I couldn't do it. And oddly enough, despite all of that, I still felt empowered through the entire process. And even in the uncertainty of an ongoing pandemic and what that would mean for this church or anyone here or anything in my life as well, I felt God give me strength and courage and a newfound desire to further his kingdom. And despite all those insecurities I was feeling, Sophie and I signed a lease to an apartment that we, for one, couldn't afford, and two, I didn't know if I was getting the job still. And we signed the lease, and we were like, well, we're staying regardless, so, you know, yeah, <laughs> we were committed to staying in Reading. And, uh, spoiler alert, um, I got the job. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And immediately after starting, uh, all of those insecurities that I felt empowered through uh, hit me like a wall of bricks again. Um, and there were so many things that when I started in youth ministry that like, I wasn't prepared for. Because in a classroom talking about ministry, it's all these ideas, right? Like, it's all these like, well, here's what, here's where your heart needs to be. Here's the things you need to like be pa not passionate about, but like kind of like where your passions need to be to be able to do ministry. That's not just a sprint, but a marathon. Like you're going to be going through ministry for a while. Like you have to be prepared for all the ups and downs, but my youth ministry professor would be like, but I don't know what your problems are going to be. So good luck. <laughs> And I, when I started, um, I had no idea how to connect with a group of students who were mostly homeschooled. That was something I wasn't prepared for. I went to a school where we had maybe one child that was like homeschooled or in a co-op or anything like that. And it was just like a different, I didn't realize how big of a difference the culture is, but it's pretty big. Um, and I didn't know how to handle youth group in a pandemic. I didn't know how to handle difficulties with parents or how to do Sunday school. Um, I didn't go to Sunday school, so I didn't know what Sunday school was like. And I had big shoes to fill. And these were just a few things that I can name right now. And all of those things made me feel hopeless. And like all of my feelings about my insecurities were true. And I would pray to God constantly during this time and tell him these things as well. When we constantly go to God in prayer and search for his will, God will empower us to follow through. Philippians 4.13, you probably all know it already, says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So Paul says this when he's facing countless obstacles and persecution and the threat of death at every turn. And he went through so many terrible pains just to further the gospel and to participate in kingdom work. And how did he find the strength to face all things? Well, he did it through prayer and by following God's will. In his prayers, he received the empowerment he needed to face all that was in his way. And when we feel like 
the obstacles in our way are too big for us to ever conquer, we're right. We cannot do kingdom work by ourselves. The kind of things that Paul went through would have never been possible without the partnership of God. And we need to turn to God in prayer to receive the empowerment we need to carry out his will. So Paul kind of states this idea again in Romans 8, 31 through 33. I'll give you guys a second. So what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is not for us, or if, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, who, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against them, those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. God empowered me in my own situation by providing me with so much help. He provided me help from Sean, who it was amazing to start with somebody who had been in youth ministry and knows the struggles of it and knows what goes on. I received help from my wife who would constantly encourage me and constantly help me try to see my strengths even when I felt like I had none. He allowed me to have a great team of leaders that changed throughout time, but who all helped encourage me, helped build me up and helped make up for the strengths that I didn't have. And he also gave me encouragement through parents and students. And he gave me opportunities to see my own strengths in action and to actually be able to recognize that. So I think sometimes we have strengths and people will like easily point them out in us, but like we don't always have the ability to see those things. And sometimes God just needs to like go up to you and like open your eyes and be like, you look what I gave you. <laughs> and he did that for me. And throughout this time at Trinity Alliance, I went from wondering how God could ever use me or work with me in ministry to feeling excited and confident in the call that he's given me. By going to God in prayer, we are following his kingdom work and aligning ourselves with his will. And prayer empowers us to partner with him in his kingdom. The 40 days of prayer that we are going through shows us that prayer is more than just talking. That prayer is partnership with God. And when you view prayer as kingdom partnership, you become much more aware of how truly important prayer is. I want to ask you all a few questions to end my time. Um, and first, are you aligned with God's will yet? And if you aren't, What's stopping you? Do you know what God's will for your life is and feel like you can't do it? And how can you turn to God in your prayers and make him your source to do the kingdom work he has called you into? Let's pray. God, thank you for um, just giving us a way that we can talk to you, that we can partner with you, that the big task we have ahead of us is not something we have to do on our own, but is something that you partner with us through, that you give us the strength to, that you are our source in.
God, I pray that you help us to all see that, that you help us to feel the power that you've given us and to rely on it more than ourselves. Thank you for all that you do and all that you've done and all that you will continue to do in us and with us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know why this, there it is, okay. Um, thank you, Xavier, great message. Uh, and fitting for us to go uh, into communion with as well. Lord, this, this is an opportunity, I think, for us to uh, consider those questions he just asked. You know, are we, are we personally, am I aligned with God's will? And if not, what's going on, right? Why have I not jumped on board with what he's doing? Am I still fighting for my own will, right? And, and so taking this time uh, as we take communion to, to reflect on that and to ask the Lord, Lord, help us to align ourselves with your will, first of all. Second of all, give us the courage to step out in faith that you will empower us to then do that will, right? And so uh, let's do that as we come to communion this uh, this morning. Uh, again, communion is, uh, is open to anyone who has bowed their knee to Jesus as Lord this morning. We'll invite you to come to the front and receive the elements, and then you can return to your seat and take those elements once you've uh, had a little bit of time, maybe with, uh, in prayer with the Lord, uh, when you're ready to do that. Uh, we'll have some music playing in the background as that happens. And then uh, once everyone's kind of gone through the line, we'll sing a closing song and then I'll come up with another uh, closing passage as well. So uh, let's pray and then we'll go to communion. Lord, thank you again for this morning. Thank you for the message that you've just delivered to us, Lord. Uh, so well spoken and uh, communicated clearly to us about the fact that uh, coming to you in prayer is first and foremost about surrendering our will to your will. So, Lord, help us to do that. Help us to see the areas of our life where we're still clinging to our will and help us to release those things and trust that you actually will change our desires to become what you will. And then second of all, Lord, as we step out of prayer, even as we're in prayer, there's an empowering that is happening. You are the one who gives us the strength, the courage, the words, uh, the actions, the thoughts that we need in order to then walk in your will. So we ask that uh, even this morning as we partake in communion and we remember how Jesus <laughs> was willing to be obedient to your will. He surrendered his own will to, to do your will and go to the cross and allow his life to be given, to be taken, to be paid. Lord, thank you for that. And Thank you for that example. And as we reflect on what Jesus did for us, may we do as Romans 12 says, may we also be living sacrifices like Jesus. And so Lord, hear our prayers this morning. Hear our hearts. Change us. Make us more like you. In Jesus' name.